That being said, help me welcome up John Cedarleaf to read our scripture this morning. Good morning. This morning we're going to be reading from uh, John 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Thank you, John. Good morning. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy of being together. Thank you for uh, just, just the joy. The joy of being your kids, getting to have fun together, laugh together, and, uh, and grow together. Lord, I pray that this morning you would help us. I pray that you would cause our hearts and our minds to be, uh, to be soft, to be open, that we would be able to receive from you together. Thank you for your word. I pray that as we consider the words that have just been read, Lord, we, these would be more than just words. That by your spirit, you would speak to us this morning and help us to get a clear vision of who you are, what you've done for us, and what it means to be your kids. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so a couple quick little follow-up announcements for myself. First of all, Megan, your finger was looking very shiny this morning. So you thought I didn't know. I, I know. Congratulations. Megan and John got engaged this weekend. If you don't know John and Megan. Very, very cool. I love it. Super exciting. Um, and uh, guys, I wanted, I wanted to say a couple quick words about the other holiday that we're celebrating today. So obviously today is Father's Day. Um, it's also Juneteenth, which I think is just an amazing holiday um, that we've just started celebrating as a nation. Um, Galatians chapter 5 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And so wherever the gospel goes, freedom is meant to follow. And the thing that I love about like, this particular holiday that we've just started celebrating as a nation, it, um, it commemorates this event that happened, I believe it was 1865, two years after the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed into order. Um, the, the word hadn't quite spread to all of the slaves in our nation, so it literally took about two years before those who had already been set free actually found out that their freedom had been secured. And if there's not just like a picture of the gospel, I don't don't know what is. Jesus won the war to set captives free. And now we get to participate 
and letting everyone know that freedom's available. It's been secured. The battle's been won. You are free in Christ. And so not only are we celebrating um, this amazing thing that happened in our nation in the 1800s, but as Christians, we get to, to say, yeah, this is, this, is, this is what we're all about. Seeing freedom happen everywhere the proclamation, the good news goes out. So, yeah, whatever you think about the politics of our day, I think all of God's people can say yes and amen to freedom. Father, thank you. Thank you for the great honor of being a part of a nation that doesn't ignore, hide, or try to water down our history. Lord, help us to, um, to be your people, Lord, that celebrate where freedom has been won. Help us to be your people to proclaim the freedom that you've won for us um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, Lord, that we would see people uh, just like us be set free in their own lives in all sorts of ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think that's it. Oh, no, there was one more thing. One more thing. This is like Announcement Sunday. Kind of, it's kind of connected. To, I'm trying to connect everything because that's what I do. But it's kind of connected to Father's Day. Next Sunday, we're going to have another baby dedication. It's been a while, but babies just keep like popping up. Every time I turn around, someone's got a baby. How is this happening? <laughs> um... So next Sunday, we're going to take a moment as a church family and, and dedicate a few more babies in our church. That simply means as a church community, we're going to celebrate the like, literal new life and pray. Pray for these little ones and for the parents and commit ourselves to, to helping to raise the little ones as they grow up in, in our, our church family. So that's happening next weekend. There's already a few families that have kind of like slotted to go, um, but if you didn't know about it and you want to get in on it, that is happening next Sunday. So there you go. Let's go to John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had just raised from the dead. And so while he was there, they gave him a dinner. Uh, Lazarus was there reclining at the table with Jesus, enjoying a meal with him. Martha was busy serving, because that's what she does. Um, And then Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, shows up with an expensive vial or jar of ointment, like a perfume made out of pure nard. It's like a sort of a root extract of some kind. Very, very expensive. And she opens this thing up in the middle of the meal and begins to pour it on Jesus. She anoints him, even gets down on her hands and feet and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. It's just like extreme act of humble worship. And what a picture it is. What a picture it is. Um, only six days before the Passover. So this would have been like, uh, like five days before Jesus is crucified. Four days before he's betrayed. Merely days before Jesus finally arrives at his destination. It's all been building up to his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. 
his death on the cross, and supremely, his resurrection back to life. So we're now getting down to the last days, the final moments of Jesus's life on planet Earth, as it were. And what is Jesus up to? What is he doing? What is is he prioritizing with the little bit of time that he has left? He has a dinner party with his friends. He has a dinner party with his friends. Makes me think of, um, you know, that, uh, I don't know, that classic question, that age-old question, if you only had 24 hours left to live, what would you do with the last moments of your life? Donuts. Um, I don't know, run outside like a, an evangelistic maniac and just start <laughs> screaming at anyone who will listen, Jesus has died to save you. Would you just sell everything give it all away, try to, to make up for perhaps, I don't know, maybe a little bit of greed, a little bit of self-centered living, somehow do penance, desperately do penance in hopes that, you know, you might, might convince God you're, you're okay, you're good to get in. Um, I don't know, it could be a bit of an emotional thought. What would you do if you only had 24 hours left to live or a few days for that matter? Jesus we find him sitting around a dinner table with his friends. That says something about how Jesus views life, people, time, and ultimately like his great vision for what he came to do on planet Earth. Somehow it keeps coming back to relationships. Jesus thought it would be a good idea with just the last few days that he had left to hang out with Lazarus and his sisters. Of course, there were others at the party as well. It probably, would have, it probably wasn't even at Lazarus' house. If you read the other Gospels, you can kind of piece together some more of the details. All four of the Gospels, or at least three of them, retell this dinner party moment. Um, So there would have been some other people there at the party, but for sure, there you have Martha, Lazarus, and Mary. Um, I like how John, he keeps uh, sort of giving us these snapshots, these sort of like moments in the life of Jesus, a portrait of what life might look like for those who are walking with Jesus. And here at the dinner party, it's no exception um, with these characters that are highlighted. They're all doing something. As I've already said, Martha, of course, is serving. How many of you um, who, who follow Jesus actually really like just serving? Like that's your jam. If you're gonna show up at an event, I, got, I see a couple hands, um, you're gonna do the Christian thing, and you're like, if, if I could just do one thing, don't put me up front. Um, I like fellowship, people are okay, but what I really wanna do, I just wanna like serve. I wanna roll up my sleeves, I wanna feed the poor, I wanna take care of everyone around me. I, I like that. That's the part about following Jesus that really fires me up. In fact, you might be so passionate about serving, you could even struggle a little bit at times as you look around you and wonder, why is no one else serving? Everyone should be passionate about serving, like me. That's actually Luke chapter 10. 
where Martha is serving, and she says to Jesus, hey, can you tell my sister off? Because she's not serving. And Jesus is like, hey, Martha, you need to chill. You need to chill. Martha's serving uh, Lazarus. Lazarus is kind of my guy. I don't know that he's really doing anything other than just like, it says he's reclining at the table. I'm down with that. Um, if, you had to, if you had to sort of put that character into a category, I would say that's, if Martha's like Christian service, Lazarus is Christian fellowship. It's just like, it's all about just hanging out. Dude, we'll get the stuff done at some point, all right? Someone that, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get the place cleaned up. We'll make sure everyone's fed and taken care of. But it's really about just hanging out with Jesus, being together, eating a good meal, telling some stories. Did you guys hear the one about how I was dead and came back to life four days? Did I tell you that one yet? And I imagine Lazarus, he's just, all he wants to do is like tell the stories about like how Jesus had saved him, like literally rescued him. So there's Lazarus just reclining. One can't help but wonder if if maybe he was still a little groggy from the four days in the, the tomb. I don't know. But then Mary, Mary. Now it's obvious that the, the, the way the story is told, in fact, in the other gospel accounts as well, it, the story is told in a way, I'm talking about Matthew 26, Mark 14. It's the same story that's told, and it all kind of zooms in on Mary. There's something exceptional about what Mary is doing. She's the one that's kind of stands out. Mary. If Martha is serving and Lazarus is fellowshipping, Mary's the worshiper. Mary is worshiping. Her taking this uh, jar of ointment, this very, very expensive, we're told it could have been sold for 300 denarii. One denarii would have been one day's wage, so 300, 365 minus all of like the Sabbath rest days. That's a whole year's wage. That's a lot of money. How much you make in a year, but could you imagine all in one go, like we're going to take up an offering today. Who, who are the true worshipers in the house? And here comes Mary front and center with this expensive jar. It could have been like her family heirloom, maybe her inheritance, maybe like the whole year's wage that she could have sold, uh, maybe for the poor, maybe for her own family to like live, who knows? But in this moment, what we see is this act of sheer adoration. A woman who's been caught up in the the delight of God? I mean, after all, this is the one who just brought her brother back to life. And so all she wants to do is worship. And so she pours out um, really all that she had out of adoration for Jesus. She's the worshiper. I want to talk about worship. 
It's a sermon on worship this morning. Because that's what I think is really going on here in the story. It's a moment of worship. A few thoughts. We'll see how far I get. Um, Worship is. Number one, worship is what I call, or let's say, worship flows out of a retrospective hope. Or the sort of the theological term would be an inaugurated eschatology. Sounds weird. A retrospective hope. Mary in this moment of worship, of her pouring out out of sheer adoration, is actually responding to something that's just happened, i.e., her brother coming back to life, but while at the same time knowing that something greater is yet to come. Uh, Jesus himself alludes to it. Now, she may not be fully aware, but he tells the crowd, Judas in particular, who's critiquing Mary for her uninhibited act of worship, that this is actually for his burial. This, This is for something about to happen. And so worship, first and foremost, flows out of this conviction in response to what God has done and what he's still about to do in order that now, in the present, you might be caught up in what Jesus is doing all around you. Retrospective hope. It's a revelation that's rooted in what God has done while looking forward to what God is going to do that you might fully engage in what God is doing in this moment, in this present moment. This is exactly what Mary is doing. As Christians, um, I think, and maybe this is not as Christians, let's say as humans, um, we can tend to either cling to uh, the things that we're enjoying presently, in fact, what we, we tend to do, if life is going really well, maybe we've, came into, we've come into some money, uh, maybe we've just fallen in love, we just got engaged, like, you know, all the things, life is good, and the temptation is to always cling to those good things and somehow uh, reduce them to, like, our little gods. We, we always, it's this, like this human thing we do. It, they did it in the garden. I do it. I'm pretty sure y'all do it. We take the things that we love and we deify them. We worship the things, the blessings, make little gods out of them, and thus end up just sucking the life out of them. So we can cling to what is good. Conversely, if life is crap, excuse my language, I'm sorry. Um, If life is super hard (laughs) at the moment, we can get overwhelmed the pain, with the sense of hopelessness, and we can lose our way. But when we are rooted in what God has done, sometimes you got to go back. Sometimes it's good to remember what God did last year. Sometimes it's even better to remember what God did mm, about 2,000 years ago. Like, let's go to the ancient roots. 
what God did on the cross for me, while also looking to the future, knowing that although he finished his work on the cross, the perfect is yet to come. God's not done. And in that way, whether I'm enjoying life or properly suffering, I can worship in any given moment. I can thank God for his goodness and for his faithfulness to come. Uh, It allows the follower of Jesus, those who are walking with Jesus, to live their lives in such a way that they're not just getting tossed to and fro by every wind, every wave, every hard thing, a really, really good thing that would tempt to pull us away. We walk with Jesus with a with the security, with the hope, with the joy, because of what God has done and what he's going to do. Retrospective hope. Secondly, worship is uh, costly. It's one of the weird, wonderful paradoxes of the Christian faith. They're all over the place. Uh, To get in, all that God requires to join the family, to be saved, to be adopted into God's family, all that God requires is that we come with empty hands. Come with empty hands. I bring nothing to the table. I'm I'm broke, I'm lost, I'm broken, spiritually dead, forsaken, an enemy of God. I, I, I have nothing to impress him with. I come with empty hands. And God says, right, now I've paid the price for you. I've done what you cannot. I've paid the price you could never afford. I'm just glad you're home. Now come inside. Join the celebration. And then Jesus begins to teach us the way of sacrificial love. And we realize that, oh, we get to lay down our lives the way Jesus laid down his life for us. This is so weird and wonderful. It cost me nothing to get in, and it cost me everything the longer I follow Jesus. And there's great joy in that life. It is costly. It will cost you everything to follow Jesus. 300 denarii. Worship, if nothing else, is beautiful. I love, um, it said that when Mary poured out this perfume, the whole house was filled with the fragrance of this, uh, this moment. In Matthew 26, Mark 14, where they tell the same story, the way they tell it, when the disciples, here we're told it's Judas specifically, but it says when the disciples uh, rebuked the woman who, had, who was doing this thing, wasting this perfume when it could have been sold for more pragmatic purposes, Jesus said, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. And what a beautiful thing it is when you come into a place, and even if you can't explain it, even if you've never actually experienced it personally, when you come into a place and you witness people worshiping the beautiful one, truly worshiping Jesus in the wake of what he's done for us, have, have you ever experienced that? Oh, if you've ever tasted it, it's, you always want it back. It's what um, oh, one theologian said. It's, it's the, uh, he said, to have known 
God and yet still seek him is the soul's paradox of love. To have tasted how good he is, only to to want more, only to go away wanting to reclaim that moment and then realizing that you had only just begun. I mean, this is the beauty of worship. These moments when you get caught up in the fact that God in Christ came down and loved us to the point of death. I mean, this is like, it can, it can sound so, uh, like, it's just like religious jargon. Unless you've actually experienced it, like on a deep soul level. God has died for me. It actually, uh, it requires some sort of uh, coming to grips with our need. Like I need a savior. I need God's grace. As Ben uh, said this morning, Lord, we acknowledge that we need your grace. Without your grace, we have nothing. And it might be easy to sing, but to live that out, oh, what a ride. What a joy. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Number four, worship is controversial. Verse five, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Classic Judas. Worship is controversial. There's not really anything controversial about uh, serving, right? Social justice and making sure that uh, like widows and orphans are being taken care of. Like that's, that's that, that no one in society is going to um, have a problem with that, right? You don't have to be a Christian to be altruistic or to just simply know that like, hey, we should, we should help those less fortunate around us. Not controversial, it's a really good thing. Um, nothing too controversial about like community, right? Fellowship, just being together around a meal. Like everyone wants community. We all need community. Not controversial, super good thing. But worship, now that's something else. When you actually begin to get a little bit closer to like the heart of following Christ, you realize that this isn't just about finding a community to belong to. That's more of a, a byproduct, if I can put it that way. This isn't just about like doing nice things for those who are less fortunate. I mean, that's just called being human. Like if you have any semblance of a conscience intact, like do that. Like care about the people around you because it could be you tomorrow. But worship, that's something else. Worship gets to the very heart of why. Why would we do these things? Who, who is this really all about? Worship. Why? Why do we do these things? You know, last week we, uh, I know you can't see this if you're online, but we talked about our vision as a church. We exist so that anyone might experience truth, grace, and new life in Jesus Christ. And I tried to make the point that that's, that's good and fine, but 
without the context of friendship, it's, it's, it's really no more than just an abstraction. All of these things happen within the context of like, not just relationship, that's way too broad of a term, a term, but friendship, friendship. We really start to get to know each other. I think it's still missing something. If the context is friendship, the motivation must be worship. And you might say, well, what about love? Isn't love our motivation? I'd say yes, because we love who we worship, and we worship who we love. We love because we have been first loved, First John 4, 19. Worship is what we do when we've been loved. I would say they're really parallel categories. Um, I love the old marriage vows. With my body, I the worship. Love is all about worship. It's all about who we're giving our affection to. It's about who we're delighting in. That's worship. It frames everything that we do, everything that we experience, everything that we aspire towards. Because everything about following Jesus, walking with Jesus, is actually a response to who he is and what he's already done for us. And so whether I'm having a good day or a super bad day, I get to worship because nothing has changed about who he is, his love for me, and what he's done, nor what he's going to do because he's not a liar. My king is so faithful and his promises are sure. And so I worship. I worship and I worship and I worship. And out of that place of, of, of worshiping the beautiful one, then we begin to form community. We enjoy fellowship. Our relationships take on uh, this new meaning. We're not just using each other because we're sort of lonely and we need to sort of barter for affection, and therefore we do friendship. Our friendship, our friendships become an expression of worship in themselves. Our service to those around us. We're not purely altruistic. You know, one... Um, this is an old sermon I listened to years ago, and I won't even get into it, but it was so helpful because I realized that loving people is super hard, and the more I tried to convince myself that I was just doing good deeds because I love people, the more I started to feel like, um, what's the word, a hypocrite. Because <laughs> a lot of times, the people that God is calling me to serve and to love, they're terrible people. They're like difficult, difficult, they're like me, like difficult people, very hard to love sometimes. And I realized that my motivation to serve people isn't limited to whether or not I actually love them or not, because my true motivation flows out of worship. I'm serving the people around me because I'm overflowing with the love that's been poured into my heart because my king has served me. He has washed my feet. He has poured himself out. He has given me everything. Who am I not to share his goodness with others? And worship becomes my motivation. And so whether I'm serving a super difficult person or a person I actually like, it depends on the day. But what never, ever, ever changes 
is that Jesus is truly worthy to be worshiped. Oh, he is the beautiful one. And so worship becomes our motivation. We worship. We are worshipers if we're nothing else. Last point. Oh, this is my favorite one. Worship is powerful. Worship is aggressive. Worship is combative, if you like. Um, when Jesus was dying on the cross, we have a f- few of his words were recorded in those final moments. Um, at one point, he starts to quote Psalm 22. Psalm 20, let me read this to you guys real quick. Psalm 22. We can find it. Yeah, I got it marked. Some of you guys might remember this. Jesus is dying and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? That's some raw emotion. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. God inhabits the praises of the worship of his people. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. God dwells in the praises of his people. God responds in a powerfully unique way when we begin to worship him, however life is going, wherever you're at, however you feel. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, those were the words on his lips. Our fathers trusted you, they cried out to you, and you were faithful. Check out Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is... Um, This is such a beautiful vision of of the power of worship. Let me read this to you. Um, Where is it? 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Verse 12. I won't read it all, but just some pieces. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? They're surrounded. God's people are surrounded. Again. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah, God's people, stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehezeel, the son of Zechariah. And he said, he prophesied, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, 
and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat, the king, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. They went before the army. And he told the uh, singers, say this, here's your lyrics. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. As they faced the horde, certain destruction. This is what I want you to do. Sing. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed and they all destroyed one another. All God's people did was worship. It is cool. It's super cool. Does it work that way every time? No. <laughs> That's Second Chronicles chapter 20. But what a wonderful example. And there are other examples. I love the story of Job. Job chapter 1. The opening chapter of Job. That ancient man of God. He loses everything. All of his cattle, all of his camel, all of his sheep, all of his properties wiped out. And then all of his kids are together in one place sharing a meal and the house collapse. They all die like that. Some, some servant, some random servant escapes and goes and tells Job, it's all gone, it's all gone. You've lost everything. You have nothing. Not even your kids are alive. You know what Job does? Let me read it to you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worshiped. Worship. <clears throat> it's powerful. It keeps us uh, grounded. It helps us to maintain um, perspective that we wouldn't deify the things or the ones that we love. Nothing worse than deifying your kids, making little gods out of these precious little ones. It helps us stay grounded when life is really, really hard and these little ones that you would lay your life down for in a second have been taken away from you. Miscarriage, loved ones gone. You have real cause to mourn. came into the world naked. That's just how I'll leave. Today I worship because my God is faithful. He is the beautiful one. I will not be tossed around. I will not lose my way. I will not be overwhelmed. I will not lose hope. Nothing changes who he is, what he's done for me, and his promises to come. Can we stand together, please?